morning I want to speak about chosen by greatness for greatness. Chosen by greatness for greatness. When we go into such a a word that we're about to go into, which maybe take two weeks, we'll see. I don't want this to become a deep theological issue where we have to go to every verse that bolsters up a certain doctrine. But rather what I wanted to do is to see by showing you a doctrine or a teaching from God's word, by showing it to you, that you'll realize that you are chosen by greatness. And you're chosen destined end, as it were, destined eternity is greatness. You're chosen by greatness because the one who chose you was Almighty God Himself, and He is great. And He is great. Sometimes people talk about being chosen of God and they think it can be unfair, that God is unjust. And that's not right. And it can be divisive. But really, when we think of how when our risen Lord came to Peter and John, and at the end they were speaking to Peter, and he calls Peter and says to Peter that, When he is old, he would be taken and bound. And basically, when he's old, he would die for the cause of Christ. Peter turns with an unfairness in his heart, or an unfair attitude towards God in his heart, looks at John and says, what about him? But what about him? And Jesus said, Peter, paraphrasing it, never mind him. I'm speaking to you. Brother and sisters, what about him? What about her? Never mind him and her. God hath chosen you. And he's speaking to you. We need to leave the greater things of God to God. And we need to leave the mysterious things of God to God. And when you're speaking about election choice. You and I like to choose throughout all of our lives. In fact, in this modern age, everything is free will, free will, free will. And that's right, you can choose what to wear, what to eat, who to marry, what car to drive, what job to go to, if you're qualified for that position, what house to buy, choice. But when it comes to thinking that God has a choice, it becomes unjust in in the natural affections of, of humanity. But let's leave that to God for a moment. And let's just say, Lord, you know best. And let's rejoice, not with pride, not with arrogance, not with some superiority or sense of it, but rather let's rejoice that God knew us loved us, chosen us from before the foundation of the world and called us in Christ. And when you do, this is what we see when we speak about God and his sovereignty. 
In God's sovereignty, it shows God's greatness. And then our Psalm, Psalm 145, it tells us in verse two, 3, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. So God is great, not only in any sense and in every way, but God is great and it's unsearchable. The riches of Christ are unsearchable, which we have in Christ. But God's greatness is unsearchable. His love is inexhaustible and everlasting, unending love. But God's greatness, how great he is. Here when we look at it, we see God's greatness, but we see in contrast Man's weakness. We read about it in our second reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 29. How God hath chosen the foolish things, the weak things, and the base things. Chosen them. God hath chosen. And we like to think that we choose God. We made a choice. Choose Christ. Now I use that term for the simple reason is... To show someone, look, call upon the Lord. Give them the opportunity to call. But really, God does not save a man or save a woman. God did not save you against your will. But rather God in his grace and mercy, through the power of his spirit and his word entering your heart, made you willing to be saved. You see, we're told that there's none righteous, no, not one. We're told that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. We'll maybe look at that later on or next week, God willing, whenever. So in that, it gives the idea that in you, in me, before we were saved, that day, that hour, in our experience of life, whether it was in a gospel meeting, whether it was at a doorstep when someone witnessed to you, whether it was in a workplace, at home, on your own, wherever it was, when God and you eventually met in Christ and you repented of your sin, realized your need of a saviour, gave your life to him, accepted his sacrifice on Calvary as the full payment of your debt, You didn't need to work. You didn't need to add to it. You didn't need to go anywhere else. You didn't need to do anything. You didn't need to be even a better person. You accepted by faith what Jesus had done on the cross for you. And you were cleansed by faith in the blood. Clothed with the garment of righteousness there and then. The righteousness of Christ. At that time, in in your economy and mine, we were saved. But in God's economy, you were saved in his mind and it could never not have happened. It had to take place. It had to happen. Because God had already ordained it to be so. So all those years when you were in your sin and all those years when you and I were on the church roll of our denominations, in my case, it was Presbyterian. Although I was never there in my older years. 
But in our case, whenever we were on our church roll or we were in our denomination, and that was it, you were, uh, you were a good person. And a Christian was someone that was just good. And sort of had a belief in God, but no compunction from the Spirit. No faith in Christ to live a life. When you were like that, or you were in the club, or the pub, or in drink, or drugs, and women and men all over the world, whatever state they were in, from homelessness to, to, to prostitution, to, to cleaned up lives, to whatever, when you and I were in that state, in the mind of Almighty God, you were saved. Like that is something for you and I to realize, to take in. You didn't realize it, but God had his mind in you. You didn't realize it, but God set his love on you. You didn't realize it. But God knew the day and the hour when he would call you. Our salvation is all of him. Completely, fully, totally of him. Now this should be a strength for it. We see God's greatness in contrast to man's weakness. We see that God is majestic. His majesty, his glory shines from the redeemed heart. His glory shines from a changed life. And he had ordained it to be so. Even the office that we would take in ministry for him. God had already planned your life. And God has already got your tomorrow worked out. God has already got your next week worked out. And may I even say this. And I'm conscious when I say this, there are many people out there who wouldn't want me to say this. But not only did God have your, your life, your ministry planned and worked out what you would be, who you could become in him. I would even go as far to say as you could not die until God had saved you. Because you were his elect. And you can't die without Christ if you're his elect. It shows God's majesty. Now forgive this term what I'm going to use because I am going to use it some part in this word, maybe today or whenever, when I get to it. It shows it shows man's moronic ways. Do you know the Bible tells us that when we are without Christ, that when we are not in Christ, in other words, when we are not born of the Spirit, that when we are not walking with Christ as in saved, when we're not saved, before we were saved, before you were saved, I was saved, and those outside of Christ. And forgive the term, for the term today is a term that, that can be offensive and I don't mean to be offensive to anyone, but I'm speaking on biblical term. Let's just put it out there and let everyone who hears know where they came from if you're saved. 
Know where God has brought you from if you're saved. Know the condition God lifted you out of if you're saved. Whether you grew up in a Christian home or a non-Christian home, no matter who you are, because you're a human being, and unalive, you're dead in sin because of that. So forgive this term. But all those who are still not trusting in Christ, what does the Bible say about that person? Are you ready? The Bible says they are morons. Can he say you were a moron? People still say I'm a moron, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> are you saying you were a moron? When you were outside of Christ? Yes. Yes. Are you saying those who are unsaved, the Bible sees them that way? Yes. That's the words used. It comes from the Greek word moros. And it means the dull in mind and heart. Toward God. The foolish man, the foolish woman, have said in their hearts, There is no God. The idea is they're a fool. And that's the word moros. We get our word moron from. It shows God's majesty and that He's majestic. It shows the moronic ways of man. It shows God's determination. What I mean, when we speak of choice and that you're God's choice, it shows God's determination to save you. God was determined from before the foundation of the world, right through creation when he spoke the worlds into being, right until the very formation of the earth, right until the coming of Adam and the fall in the garden Right through all of the times of the, the patriarchs and the Old Testament prophets, through Israel's history, right through to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, his dying on the cross, the shedding of his blood, his going to the tomb, three days wait, and his rising again in triumphant, victorious glory over the grave. God had waited. He was determined that you and I would be saved. From then, he's waited all these years, as it were. He's in all those years. I'm speaking in human terms. He's waited all those years until you heard the gospel and you give your life to Christ. That's the determination of God. But in the determination of God, you know what that tells me then this morning? You know what that shows to us this morning? It shows the depravity of man. And what is the depravity of man? The depravity of man is not just how low man can sink into sin. But it shows the complete, the full and the Total inability of man to save himself. In other words, it shows me that all the world's history 
right up to this very moment and beyond till Christ return and kingdom, his kingdom is set up. Right until that, it shows me the depravity of the human being. The fallen man. The man and the woman who inherently are sinners. And I've given this illustration before. This hill beside our church building here. And you go up this hill and you take your car there. And you let it out of gear. And you take off the handbrake. And you step out of it. What do you expect the car to do? You expect it to naturally roll down the hill. It's a natural way for that car to go. It rolls downhill. It didn't roll because you pushed it down. It didn't roll because you put a rope on it and pulled it down. It rolls down because that's the natural progression. Or should I say digression? For the car to go. In other words, it's in the nature of it to roll downhill. And it's in the nature of you and I, in our human flesh that is. It's in our nature to roll downhill. And can that car, if it's not smashed at the bottom, can it roll back up again on its own? Can you stand at the top of the hill and call it and call it and call it and call it and say, car, come up, car, come up. Will the car answer? The answer is no. It's dead. It's it's an animate object, an inanimate object which cannot move. It's lifeless like this pulpit before me. It cannot move of itself. It has no ability in itself. That is the depravity of it. And such is every man and such is every woman on the face of this earth. And you can try and think up religions and you can try and think up philosophies and we can try and think up ways of life and we can try and think up good livings and we can try and think up everything. But it does not change the nature of this flesh. It does not change the depravity of human nature. And sinning does not make you a sinner. I'll say it again. Sinning does not make you a sinner. You sin because you are one. You sin because you are one. It's in our nature. Shows the complete human depravity. And what does that mean? It means that you and I, no matter how hard we try, no matter where we go, no matter what we do, no matter what we try and work at or give or try and be faithful to or church attendance or whatever, denominationalism, it cannot save a man and a woman. And this shows the greatness of God. And it shows not only God's greatness, but it's in, God, it's in contrast to man's weakness. It shows God's majesty in contrast to man's moronic ways. It shows God's determination in contrast to man's depravity. So this morning, you know why you're here, believer? Do you know why you're sitting here praising God under the sound of his word? Do you know why you come on a Tuesday night? Do you know why you go into the place of prayer? Do you know why? The only reason you and I can do that is because since we have been born again of the Spirit, 
And since Christ comes and through his spirit lives in us, the Holy Spirit is the energy, the driver. He is the force behind you and I who keeps us going on in God. Now, look at Psalm 145. In this, the extolling of a king and God, God is the king. In this, it shows us that when we say, I will extol thee, it means to lift up and magnify, to exalt on high from the heart. I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Notice, here, if you read down our reading, it's God's greatness. How big God is, how good God is. His unsearchable greatness, his majesty, all comes into this. I David here, an Old Testament prophet. And even here, as a king writing God's word, do you know that, they, that, that the prophets don't even have the blessing that you and I do as New Testament Christians? Yet we look at them to say they must be great, they must have been some sort of uh, superhuman beings. Uh, and they're not, they're human beings like you and I. But yet here the Spirit of God comes and bears David along here. And as the Spirit comes upon him, he starts to proclaim that he will bless God for his greatness and his goodness. And he starts seeing visions and revelations through the Spirit. And he starts to extol God on in it, to exalt him and to lift him up. Because God's greatness becomes a reality to David. And when God's greatness becomes a reality to David, David can't help himself but worship and praise and extol and exalt and magnify and glorify and lift up the mighty God that has rescued him and brought him from places where David has found himself on the run, where places he's been hiding in caves. David has said, Lord, you're great. This adoration and desire of worship and exaltation for you, Lord, it isn't even really from my flesh, for I run according to my flesh. I sin according to my flesh. But when you're near me, I know your greatness is upon me. Now here's the thing. Since you are God's choice, since you are God's choice, and since you are saved and in Christ, then how should you praise him? How should you praise him when God gives you vision and revelation of who he is? Think of our ways that I have spoken about Think of our weakness. Think of our moronic ways. Think of our total depravity. Our inability to be saved. And he came all the way from glory. Was veiled in flesh. And died on the cross. 
When the fullness of time was come, the Bible says, God sent forth his son. He was born of a virgin. He was made under the law. And when that fullness of time came, then came our redemption. Then came that election to our hearts because Christ had changed humanity. Christ had changed our eternal destiny. Even though we weren't born, even though you weren't born to whatever year you were born, Christ came knowing you, knowing that he needed to change your eternal destiny. For your eternal destiny was the blackness of darkness forever. And you might have said, my eternal destiny has changed because I went here and I went to Donna Clonelum or I went to uh, my church denomination or I was on the road or I was christened as a baby. Now listen, that might sound nice. You were chosen by greatness. You were chosen by the great and almighty God not to give glory to any denomination. Not to give glory to anything you have done. Not to give glory for anywhere you could go, but to totally be in Christ and give glory to him alone. That's the idea of it all. It's all to do with him. You know, my time's basically gone already. That's only my introduction. So... When we speak about God of chosen... Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verse 26. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says here now. He says, For you see your calling. Right, let's think about this. You're reading this word. The word is for you today. I know this was written to the Corinthians here, but the word is written for you and I today. We believe that this is the living word for you and I. So you see your calling, brethren. You see your calling, brother. Who, all of you, listen. You see your calling, brethren. How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen. Hath God chosen you and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. Three times, twice in Verse 27, months in verse 28, we're told, but God's chosen. God hath chosen. God hath chosen. You see that word chosen? It's the word aklegome. Aklegome. And this is what it means. It means to pick out. To pick out from a certain number. And it also means to pick out or to choose for one's self. To pick out or to choose for one's self. So what Paul is saying, see you're calling when you were called. 
That moment was when your ears were opened by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. In other words, God starts to move in you. God starts to speak to you. God starts to call you. You realize your depravity. You realize your weakness. You realize, as it may not even realize the word, but you realize your moronic, foolish ways. And you realize you cannot save yourself. There's nothing you can do off yourself, but only in Christ and the power of the regeneration of the Holy Spirit can you be saved. And you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. You called in his name, so you thought that you chose Christ when all the time God had chosen you from before the foundation of the world and eternity passed, and at that moment you called on the name of the Lord to be saved. God has chosen means to pick out, to choose for oneself. Notice this. It gives the idea of choosing one out of many, It gives the idea of choosing one out, listen, for an office. God knew when he chose the apostles and God knows in the church whom he chooses from before the foundation of the world that God saves men and women. What's your ministry today in the church? What's your ministry today in this assembly? What's your ministry today in the wider church at large? What is your ministry Because God chooses one onto a ministry. I know some people when you come to me and say, I think the Lord's led me this way in ministry and I will encourage you and try and lead you right. But here's the thing. See when God chooses a man or a woman to a ministry. You can't miss that ministry. Some people get... A burning in their heart, and really it's heartburn. Some people have a burning in their heart. And it's the fire of the Holy Spirit. And you can't put it out. God opens a door that no man can shut. And he shuts doors that no man can open. God chooses people to an office. He chooses in the church apostles, evangelists. Sorry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. He chooses men and women to be worship leaders. That doesn't mean, say, one at the front here. I'm talking about worship leaders. He chooses people to be Bible teachers. He chooses you, whatever ministry it is, and it doesn't have to be a big ministry at the front. God can choose you to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. Isn't that right, Phil? And you're faithful to it, brother. And no matter what, you might try and run away from it and you might desist from it and secede from it and rebel against it. You might do that sometimes even in your ministry and you want to throw it out and give it up and don't do it. But when God has placed it and called you and ordained and elect you for it, you will never get away with it. You will never live happy out of it. And here's the thing. It's the same for a man and woman who are saved. 
and fall away and go into the world and live in their life of sin or wherever, or they live away from God, even a clean life living away from God, and they're not in, in touch with God, they're not worshipping Him, and they're not following Him and walking with Christ, their life will never be the same again because God has already awakened them, regenerated them, and quickened them to the things of God. And the world will not do. It will never satisfy. See when you're praying. Why don't you go home this afternoon or whenever. Get into a place of prayer and say Father. I find this hard to take. I used to find it hard myself but I don't. But say Father. I find this hard to take but my strength is. That you're sovereign. That you knew me. In eternity past. And even though in your greatness. And your glory. And your majesty. You were determined. To set your love in me. To send your son for me. For him to shed his blood for me. Until I. Received you. I'm saved. Now that strength from that, if you can get this, that God knew you, chose you, picked you out. It's the word, it's exactly what it means. And God wants you now to move into your ministry. Move into your office. That will strengthen you. That will strengthen you. Because then you'll realize, like all of us, you're just a human being. Don't glory in God's presence of what you can do. Most of the hymn writers say, I will not boast in anything. No gifts. No power. No wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death. On resurrection. And when you and I go before him, don't glory in that, Lord, you've called me so I can do all things without you. You can do nothing without him. I can do nothing without him. But we can do all things through Christ, which strengthens us. Go and pray, Lord. I'm just rejoicing that you have saved me. I'm rejoicing that you knew me. I'm rejoicing you have my life in charge. You have all things in control. You're already ahead of me. You know my tomorrow, my next week. Lord, I'm rejoicing that I'm born of your spirit and forgiven of my sin. And you, Lord, are my God in charge of everything. That's an introduction. Definitely have to go to another week now. Chosen by greatness. What were you chosen for? For greatness. And it might seem unfair. But let's leave the choosing to God. And let's rejoice that we know him. And that he has done it all. God bless his word this morning. Let's receive the Lord's tithe and offering Lord bless us, thank you for your giving again tonight
the gospel in a golden box. Some lovely things about this message tonight. Even the introduction of it, I got lost in it. Jim, you know what I mean, man. You go in, you get into a word, and you get into a, a thought, and you just get lost in it. I went to go into the introduction thinking, how am I going to put this together? And as soon as I got into my introduction, I just got totally lost in it. A gospel in a golden box. So let's get, try and get past the introduction tonight. And maybe do another week. We'll see how we get on.